I'm joined today by Sean Diodat in the London borough of Camden in north central London. Sean's going to be telling the UK Column audience about a protracted struggle to get care for his 85-year-old mother, Bano Diodat. Sean, welcome to the programme and thank you for coming back to us because this isn't the first time you've spoken to us about your mum and her health plight, is it? No, absolutely. And I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity to speak. It's very nice of you and the UK Column. So the footage we showed about a year ago was quite harrowing footage of your poor mum in her mid-80s, uh, you having to record her testifying in a lucid moment because she's plagued with dementia, that absolutely she did not want a jab. And this was when the National Health Service, in the form of the local clinical commissioning groups, the name will change soon, but that's the, the core of the NHS locally, the government funded bit anyway, they were sending their staff, weren't they, for your part of London uh, to say, you need your jab, dearie, and just yeah. re recapitulate for a moment what kind of a struggle you had. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, they were just concerned, um, saying in this brave new COVID world that, you know, we're concerned that your mum um, hasn't had her injection. And um, I asked my mum and she she actually didn't want it. And she did say, I, I, I don't want anything interfering in my body. And I had to get a, um, a hotel director, a camera operator, a Royal Mail um, person and a, um, a legal advisor to witness all of that. Um, but they were putting immense pressure on me for that um, to the point of sending, they wanted to send someone else around like an advocate to interview my mum separately away from me. Um, I had to have the legal advisor, um, <clears throat> Edward Lowe, who's really, really good at his job, step in and write a letter to them to say, you know, on what grounds and why, and he fended them off. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot of pressure, it was a lot of stress, and my mum did not want to be vaccinated. And... Uh, well, we move on to the story of, uh, of Sean. Um, just uh, give us an overview of what Sean's position is. Sean is a very... Uh friendly and solid man who's recently been in touch with me, uh, whose mother has dementia and she's in North London. And she, uh, as you can read on screen here, is a retired liver transplant nurse. I won't get into Sean's litany of very well-founded complaints against the clinical commissioning group for North London, that is North Central London. The CCG is the latest of the completely, of the constantly chopping and changing outfits in the British National Health Service that actually commission the care on behalf of people's family doctors or general practitioners. Sean's mother says in lucid moments that she's previously had adverse reactions to vaccines. Uh, the complaints relate to uh, the usual thing that you get often in London of, of uh, carers being absolutely shoddy when they come to give the home care and threatening and violent in some cases, uh, nasty stuff that we won't get into. But anyway, uh, one of these home carers dropped into conversation, possibly or because of some kind of uh, spook channel that they're, they're involved in, who knows? Uh, how do you feel about getting your mother jabbed for COVID? And uh, Sean said off the cuff, well, I'd sooner blow my head off than have that happen. Uh, what happened next is that Jane Mitchell Riley who at the North Central London Clinical Commissioning Group is, she's formerly a private nurse for a London hospital. Uh, she's now in a, a position at the uh, CCG in North London, wrote to him and said, I'm very concerned that you've said you would shoot yourself and your mother. So she's pretending she doesn't know the idiom. We take this incredibly serious, Sean, not managing to spell Sean correctly. Therefore, I have asked for the police to carry out a welfare check on you both today. I would do this for all of the clients if I heard this being threatened. So she's pretending that this was a threat, of course. 
I know, Sean, says Jane Mitchell Riley, it's a frightening time for many people and their families in this COVID new world. She adds, I will re kindly request that your new clinical health commissioning case manager, so for those lost in the acronyms, and this is the British National Health Service, and particularly the bit that on behalf of people's family doctors says, get this lady a jab. I will uh, request that the new case manager liaises with your mother's GP in terms on, that should be of, how strongly you feel in terms of anti-COVID stance. I have requested your home carer to raise a safeguard today in terms of what is happening at home. And I have also requested that a social worker becomes involved, she adds. We all want to ensure that you and your mother are protected and well supported. And in signing off, she says, you're sincerely clinical lead nurse, continuing healthcare, and she's also independent best interest assessor. Jane Mitchell Riley, North Central London Clinical Commissioning Group. Now, Sean has his head screwed on, so he decided that the thing to do would be to get some witnesses. Uh, so one of them is a friend and neighbour who's a postman. Uh, another is uh, a hotelier, I think a hotel manager, in fact. Uh, a third is a legal advisor. And the fourth behind the camera is actually a BBC cameraman to record uh, a witness statement in one of his mother's more lucid moments, being careful not to lead the questioning so that it would be more difficult for the clinical commissioning group afterwards to claim that if your mother was still compost mentor, she would want to be protected from the virus. So here's the clip of that. And uh, I think this will provide many people who are worried about vulnerable relatives in this situation with food for thought about how to document their relatives' wishes. I'm Sean. I'm the son of my mother. I look after I'm a full time carer. Hi, I'm Ingrid. I, I work in hotels. My name's Edward Lowe. I'm the director of the Legal Advice Network. I'm Glenn. I'm a neighbour friend of Sean's mum. Okay, and uh, on camera here is Paul Watkin, um, a friend of Sean. I've known him for many, many years, and I'm a cameraman by trade. Okay, mum, they come, they come to see you because I need to ask you some questions. Okay, mum, you know, there's, there, there's, They've been talking about a virus that's going around killing people. Do you know about this? Yeah. How do you know about this? Television. Right. Now, they said there's a vaccine that can help people uh, and prevent them getting worse mm -hmm. from this virus. But they're, they're also saying that there's possibility that of side effects mm -hmm. that can affect people. Some people might get affected by this. Mm -hmm. Some people might not. Are you willing to have a vaccine? No. Why not? I don't want anything to interfere in my body. Are you sure about this? Mm. Yeah, 100% sure. You don't want no vaccine? No. Okay. Thank you, Mum. Thank you. We won't mention the lady's name again, but I recall you got one nasty communication sort of pretend friendly communication with some passive aggression in it at the time on behalf of the local branch of the NHS, shall we say, uh, saying, I'm very concerned about you because you're a COVID denier. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, the word denier wasn't used. It was your stance or your beliefs on COVID. That's that's correct. And I, I simply just said, listen, you know, uh, well, actually, the legal advisor stepped in and said informed consent. You know, and I said, I'd rather wait until the trials are over before I experiment with my mum or myself any further than that. And two years down the line or wherever we are now, I, I seem to be correct in making that decision. So you and Edward Lowe between you had the presence of mind to say that the trials hadn't finished, which is very topical now, because this month, July 2022, you'll know, Sean, that uh, a great big BBC hatchet job 
has come out with Professor Hannah Fry called Unvaccinated. And there, the, uh, the, the, the hardest refutation, not a very convincing one, but the, 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 the moment when she came down like a ton of bricks on the uh, vaccine sceptical participants was when they said trials uh, aren't completed and, and done thoroughly for every variant of the jab. She just gave them a blanket denial that that was the case. Yes, I agreed. Yeah, totally. But a year later, you've got an even more serious problem with your mum. Her dementia and her physical condition is continuing to deteriorate. Uh, do go into as much or as little detail as you think is proper uh, to sketch that for people. But the long and the short of it is that the North Central London Clinical Commissioning Group of the National Health Service wrote to your mother on the 22nd of June, so just over a month before we recorded this, saying the decision has been upheld at a local resolution panel, which met on the 31st of May, uh, that your mother is not entitled to a kind of care that they call fully funded NHS continuing health care. The, the practical uh, ramification of that for you, above all, is that she has no night care, isn't it? Um, yeah, basically, they just said that she she um, she doesn't qualify for, for their reasons. But we've had we've had the GP, the district nurse, the, uh, the palliative care nurses in the past, the rapid response nurses and the care agency managers and the, pharma, uh, the, the superintendent pharma, pharmacists all saying that she needs night care. She needs to be rotated. She needs um, uh, to be changed position because of pressure sores um, and the incontinence. And they're basically saying that's that does not um you've sent me a 32 page uh full minutes of yes. this meeting on the last day of may at which the local resolution panel at the north uh, central london clinical commissioning group looked at all this and they've put out in detail that it's not contested that she's doubly incontinent it's not contested that uh, she's increasingly reverting to her native gujarati making it difficult for her to communicate that if people say i suspect some will yell and others will be very kind but anyway when people say speak english please she gets even more agitated um Absolutely. this this has all been taken into account and at the end of it they've said uh no we made the right no. decision they've pretty much said to me in a, in, a, in, a, in a team's meeting call that um your your mum can be left in the bed in her own feces um for a certain amount of hours i think what they're basically saying is leave her at say nine in the evening or 10 in the evening and in the morning someone will come in and change her so she'll be covered in her own feces and we found her even now with the night care um we've covered in her own feces sometimes um, and the carer steps in to sort that out or if we were to leave that she'd be left like that and it'll be dry in the morning and it'll enter her private areas where she'll be having repeated infections and what happens from that is repeated hospitalization which is what say 800 pounds a night in a hospital every night are we going to keep doing that um, and spend more money for, for the nhs to look after her that way or would it be cheaper just to have her looked after at home and stabilized at home but their argument is that she's it's if it's end of life care she's living longer than they expected so that's probably why they want to pull it out because she's not she's not dying but to is me, that the basis like, of this sean an actuarial decision that yeah, she, she hasn't yeah. died when she was supposed to supposed to and and, and i suppose it's you know the analogy i use is, is that you've given her a wheelchair and now you're saying she's stable she's sitting comfortable we'll take it out and when she falls out give us a call it, it makes it makes no sense she's relying on that nightcare now to pull it out is will be detrimental to her her long-term um uh, health and that's from the GP that's from the care agency managers playing with them 
Um, I've got all I've got all the documents here from from the GP to to, to the to the nurses to uh, privately nurses telling me here that she needs the nightcare, um, and they've gone and done this. And and what what really gets me is the fact I'm not pulling rank, but you know she came from India to this country because we the NHS needed nurses, so she came here to help. She went in in the liver transplant unit, King's College, served, did her time. And they're pretty much leaving in her own in her own crap um, after that. I'm not saying that nurses deserve it more than anyone else, but to top it all off, it makes it even worse that she was a nurse. Tell and, us uh, more about her nursing career. Uh, the local press where you are, Camden, has featured this, uh, the Camden New Journal, and they have a very glamorous picture of her posing with Elizabeth Taylor uh, in, yes, I suppose, the, 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 the 60s. But she came from, from India, and did she, she immediately did. become a nurse? She was a nurse in India and she came here to, uh, she just finished her training and she answered the call for, for nurses to be over in the UK. She came over and went straight into the liver transplant unit. And um, I think she had, I, I think they might've got that wrong. She was either treating Elizabeth Taylor or Richard Burton. It was one or the other. And she got on really well with, with them um, while looking after them. And uh, there was more to the story that they didn't put in, but I think Elizabeth wanted her to come to a screening for a film or have something to do with one of her films. But my mum stupidly said, no, I'm a nurse. You know, she was dedicated to being a nurse, not um, not not being an actress or, or having something to do with Elizabeth Taylor, offering her something and she declined that. Do you have a sense, Sean, that with the mental state that your mother is in now and all, all the distress from everything, does she have a sense perhaps that uh, I used to be a nurse, I know how to treat people and I have a certain standard by which I should be treated and it's not being given to me with, through no fault of those who are attending her, I understand that. No, no, she, she does. I mean, even when carers talk to her in a different language, talk, talk in a different language, she doesn't like that. She has, you know, it's rude and she will say, please, can you speak in English? So just to be to be clear, to be to be clear, agency staff on behalf of the National Health Service are sent round and they'll speak a language other than English right in front of her. Some sometimes, and it's not out of um, malice. It's just you know it's their foreign, it's their language, and they're just communicating with each other. Probably saying, "Can you turn her over here? Can you do this? Can you clean that?" And and they probably slip into their language. And my mum is is aware enough or compassionate enough to say. Can you just speak English, please? And then they go, they, they correct themselves. It's, it's nothing bad on them. You know, they're doing the best in the situation that they're in as well. Um, but even these carers are shocked um, privately with me saying, you know, if you if we pull out of there, she will slide right down. Um, and that's what hurts, you know. Um, sorry. Nothing to be sorry about. Um, Plenty to be angry and upset about, but not much to be sorry about, Sean. Um, she, she knows that they're, you know, she knows they're going to take the care of, carers away. Then she knows that, um, and I can't, I can't clean her on my own. Um, it's, um, I wouldn't be able to. I, I mean, it's, even if she wanted me to, it's just the dignity side of it. She, you know, I shouldn't be doing that, and she doesn't want to go in a care home. And under the 2014, I think it was at Care Act, the social worker did say to me, she asked her, do you want to go into care home? And she said, no, 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 no. And she wrote those words down, no, 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 no. And then she said, under under the Care Act, I can't put your mum in a care home. She's compass men and is enough to say she doesn't want to go into care home. So we have to keep her here. And we're stuck in that situation where social services have been really good. I can't mm -hmm. knock them enough. They are trying their best, but they don't 
they're not supposed to provide night care. Not their job. And it's not, the, it's not yeah. the Camden New Journal, uh, as well as featuring um, nearly a year ago, August 19th, 2021, uh, the main story they had about your mum entitled Ex-Nurse 85 is told NHS care at home will be cut. So I suppose she's actually 86 now, your mum. They actually followed that up with an opinion piece or an editorial piece entitled Blunt NHS Note. That is the very opposite of caring. This refers to the 22nd of June um, art, uh, item, which I'm in receipt of, the, the notification to your mum. And here they say that this, your, your mum was told she would get no night care or continue to get no night care um, in a very offhand manner. So they write no home visits, no actual explanation as to the reason why, just just a short identikit letter as in copy and paste, harping on about how policy and procedure has been followed in accordance with the national framework. Well, to cast the net broader, that is pretty much the bane of, of our lives these days in Britain, isn't it, Sean, that people will say, not my conscience or, or, or whatever has told me to do this, but uh, I have done nothing wrong according to protocol. Yeah, that's, that's correct. And actually, during one of the, the team meetings I had with them, one of the nurses actually was a senior nurse said to me, uh, when they're doing the assessment, scoring, shall we say, don't worry at the end with the, with the legal advisor next to me, don't worry. And she said to, to the legal advisor, tell Sean, everything will be okay. And then two, three days later, I get um, an email saying bye bye. I just that's blunt and cold as it is, really. Do you think someone is hoping that your mum starves to death, given that everyone in this chain of decision making is perfectly well aware that she needs constant reminders to eat? That's correct. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it is almost saying, um, wait for her to almost die and then we'll come back. Um, uh, to be honest with you, you know, if this was a child and I was leaving the child in their nappy for 12 hours or a dog, I'd have either the RSPC around or child protection. For our That's foreign views, it's, it's often been noted that we have a Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, but only a National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. Yeah. And uh, yeah. The, the, the charities for the elderly, of which there are several uh, big names in Britain, uh, do very much good work, but they haven't got the political limelight, have they, that the children's and particularly the animals charities have? No, they haven't. Um... Yeah, you're right. And I, I just like I said, I've been I've been exhausted, exhausting every avenue I can. I've contacted, you know, Keir Starmer. Um, he's involved in it. I know his people are. They've just emailed me the other day just to say, can we have an update? Um, and the, and the so potentially press. the British leader of the opposition could be talking yeah. about your mum's case. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I know his people are on it. They, they, they. In fairness, they always do reply back to everything I send them, and they are keeping. They want to be kept informed. I don't know how much leverage and pressure they can. You know what they can do but i had to i had to try every avenue possible um because the alternative is she'll go to daycare only and then the night care will be taken away and i mean i used to do this myself before the night care was put in place i would when the night care leaves uh, when, when the, the last care leaves at say nine nine o'clock nine thirty i'd be crapping myself going oh my god what am i going to deal with this and i'd go in and change change her position and then i'd look her, her, her um, incontinent pad going, please, I hope this is not going to be a mess, you know, and sometimes it is. And it was, you know, it was it was bad. And my mum actually said to me, don't worry, son, just leave it. Just leave it until the morning. So clearly she's well aware in lucid moments of her plight. She didn't want me to, she didn't want me to, 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 uh, to clean her. So she just said, don't worry, son, just she said, just leave it. 
Leave which of course someone. you don't say unless you know that you have a problem yourself so yeah 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 absolutely she's fully aware and she just didn't want me to do it she just you know for, for me and for her she said just don't worry but then you know you come the risk of infection and it was that point where i actually rang up uh, a care and said can anyone help me and i was like well we've got no one available when we don't come at night time because this is before the night care was put in place so i rang up social services i said what do i do it was an emergency line i said what do i do uh, you know out of hours off duty sorry uh, uh, emergency duty social worker and she said have you got no one there I said no and she goes call an ambulance uh, was it he he or she said call an ambulance I went what to get her changed and she said you can't leave her in her own feces call an ambulance they'll have to take her into hospital to clean her and then send her back and I was like so that's what I'm gonna have to do every time she you know is that not wasting resources you know eventually they put the night care in but now they want to take it back out so we're going to go back to that situation again I'm, I'm going to call blue light ambulances out just to, to just to say she's it makes no sense well i mean the ambulance summer. drivers the ambulance drivers the nurses everyone i speak to completely agree with me and say that it's been run by people that don't know how to run it properly they really really don't you know off the yeah. record this summer of course we've had more and more publicity uh from our nursing correspondent at uk column debbie evans and from a number of mainstream outlets talking about the uh, increasing shortage of availability of ambulance drivers, ambulances, and everything connected with emergency response, healthcare. Yeah. And Absolutely. it's, and it's been looking like there's, there's a number of ways in which the paramedics are being deliberately uh, misused to mop up failings of other parts of the system. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I've, I don't know if I should say this, but I've even had nurses tell me you know that you can you might have to bend the rules for your mum because they've seen her in this condition they've seen the condition she's in and following the protocols and the tick boxes is not going to get my mum my mum care you know it's it's not and they're stuck they know she needs it the nurses you know they come around and check her pressure sores they know she needs a night care and they don't know how to they don't know what to do and ccg know this they know they've got all the information now, one thing that won't affect or shouldn't affect the NHS's decision making, but which is relevant uh, in the personal realm, is how your mum got into the position in life she's in, which I, I know is something you want to talk about. So uh, in her prime, she was uh, a very dedicated nurse by all accounts. Uh, what went wrong in her life from that point onwards? Um, she was well, she was a radio singer as well. So I should, in India, she was a radio singer and she, she went into nursing. She had a good voice. She came over here and then she met um, someone that worked in the Department of Health and Social Security or Social Service. I can't remember. He was he was a government official. And um, uh, and then she, she pressured her to marry her. She did. Um, and then she was pregnant with uh, me and my sister, who's a twin. And then um, he used to drink a lot. And then he ended up beating her up every night. This is in the early 70s, uh, early to mid 70s. Um, and he beat her up while she was pregnant. Um, kick her in the private parts while she was pregnant, make her bleed, um, and starve her and lock her in a room. And eventually, uh, she escaped. Um, a taxi driver's office, uh, a receptionist lady hid my mum under a desk while he was chasing her, and um, that saved her life there. Then she was put into a battered wives' home, um, and the police would um, move my mum around and me around because of him. Um, but yeah, she was in a battered wives home and then uh, my my dad then found out where she was and long story short is he kidnapped my sister and took her away, um, give her a good kicking in and um, um, and escaped 
with my sister out of the country and my mum was traumatised ever since that point onwards, really, and that probably contributed to where she is now. You so um, you, you and your mum haven't seen your sister since then, have you? Oh, no, we did. We, we, she tracked us down, you know, when we were teenagers, but we're not, we're not close. She, she looks after my dad now. Uh, I have nothing to do with him, uh, pretty much nothing to do with her either. Um, so we're on different sides. It sort of split the family up, really. So um, with, yeah, uh, and allegiances to my, to, um, to my mum and she's to her father. Um, and I get that. So we, we were brought up differently. So um, it's just the way, the way the game was played out, really. Um, Coming back yeah. to the unaccountable decision and very bluntly yeah. communicated decision in the final a uh, couple of minutes of this interview, Sean. Um, I'll just read from page 29 of this 32-page minutes. Uh, sure. The whole page, uh, which is called Nature, uh, which is the first of four key characteristics of the case that the uh, local resolution panel has summed up. Just to uh, impress upon people that there's a whole page of acknowledgements of your mum's medical problems and care needs, okay? Uh, after that, there's intensity, complexity, and unpredictability, which are themselves not short sections. But here's nature, okay? What I read out at this point in the interview with Sean is a page of his mother's medical details that are too specific to share with the audience. I can say that with hardly any paragraph breaks, the whole of this page 29 of the long minutes is taken up with detailed descriptions of long-term care needs, some of which are pretty serious in their own right. There's no attempt throughout the page to sugarcoat the severity of these needs, but the very last sentence is, the panel agreed with the recommendation of the MDT that the nature of Mrs Diodat, that should be of her case, does not indicate or present a primary health need. Sean, how can that square with the rest of the page I've just read? I, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm just baffled by that. I, I really am. And to be honest with you, I've been advised independently to say that if to have a lawyer draw up some sort of document that if they remove that and anything happens to her as a consequence of pulling out that nightcare, that I'd, I'd be in a position to possibly sue them. And, you know, that's something I'm thinking about because it's about, as one nurse said to me, person-centred care which is focusing the, the care on the, on the needs of the individual. They're not doing that. They're not doing that. My final question, Sean, do you have any indication of how many other patients, I should say taxpayers uh, of the NHS, not just reduce everything to patients, how many people in Britain who pay for the NHS uh, are in a roughly comparable position of I've, requiring I've... night care and that degree of NHS funded care and being told you can't have it? I've heard um, 1,300, possibly more. Um, that's just a figure that was thrown at me um, from, I won't go into who's told me that, but yeah, it, it, at least 1,300 um, people are, are in this position. And um, and I don't know if that's in the UK or if that's the borough, actually. I, I've, I, can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, I know there's 1,300. Just not that I'm an authority of any kind, I suppose it's more likely to be the borough where you live. Uh, in which case we would have many tens of thousands or a couple of yeah. hundred thousand nationally. Nationally, yeah, yeah. I just, I've, you know, apologies, I can't remember if that was a borough or area or... Well, even if it's 1,300 across the country, 
um, that's not what the NHS exists to to allow that kind of failing, well, obviously. Absolutely. But as Debbie Evans is now increasingly writing in her correspondence for UK Column, uh, the NHS is a brand that's, as she has put it, is more dinosaur than phoenix. It's actually dying or dead. Yes, yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've even heard people been sending me messages from within the NHS who work on the front line just saying that it's, uh, you know, the privatisation of it's already happened, you know, in different ways. Um, I won't go into, into this interview, but, you know, that, yeah, it's, it's falling, it's falling on, on its uh, bum really and it almost looks like it's done deliberately this is what i'm hearing it's it's done deliberately for whatever reason and whatever agenda you know that's another discussion you're certainly not the the first to say that sean and in our previous research uh notably the 2017 conference that uk column uh, coordinated and arranged in nottingham called dying for good health we've heard various dates such as 1981 and even 1968 as the first time that the policy was put in black and white uh, that really? people were not going to have publicly funded healthcare in Britain. Wow, that far back. Yeah, the 1968 paper was called um, After the NHS. And by 1981, you've got uh, uh, senior conservatives of the Thatcher administration, although I don't want to be party political, but it was a particular problem in the Thatcher era. Uh, people working for NM Rothschild and Sons uh, at a very senior level in the government, uh, having moved from one to the other, saying, uh, this won't go on much longer and anticipating American style healthcare. On which note, it's important, of course, to add that before Nixon, US healthcare was just as decent as any other Western country and just as affordable because of the diversity of provision and the non exorbitant fees charged. But that's all gone by the board in America and by the sound of it in Britain, too. Yeah, I mean, from what I'm hearing from frontline uh, people that work in it, they're telling me this. So it's not like someone who's got nothing to do with it, it's frontline workers who know me have told me what's going on um so i know it from them and now i'm experiencing it with my mum that is falling on its ass excuse the language but um and she does not deserve this after what she's put in does not deserve she, she didn't fly over here and just uh, go on benefits she came over here to to uh to serve and she's left like this sean deodat we do hope that it will only be a matter of weeks until this is looked at again. And we just hope that publicity does some good for your dear mother and for many others in this position. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate it.